We on Sunday nights are talking about daily Christianity, and tonight is a study on daily commitment. Daily commitment. This is January 21st, so we're three weeks into the new year, and uh, I don't think it's a scientific idea, but you know, the old saying is you do anything 21 days, it becomes a habit. So this is day 21. Uh, those new habits you wanted to form, are you still working on them? Because after today, it's supposed to kick in, right? And I, I'm afraid a lot of us would have to say, um, I'm not sure I remember what my resolution was, or I quit it about week one. But a lot of us struggle to keep resolutions. And what I want uh, you to think about today, instead of thinking of a whole year, I want you to just think about each and every day, a daily commitment. What's a new year anyway? You know, a new year is a figment of our imagination. We just decided January 1st is going to be our new year. Around the world, people are celebrating New Year's at different times. I, I looked a few of them up. Uh, up until 1751, New Year's Day in England was March the 25th. Uh, the Chinese New Year begins this year on February the 10th. So they haven't gotten to it yet. Uh, the Muslim calendar begins this year on July the 7th. And so not everybody in the world is celebrating January the 1st of the New Year. We just arbitrarily pick a date and say this is when we're going to say the year begins and the old year is gone. In reality, it's just another day. So why do we make a goal for such a big period of time too much to handle, really? It makes more sense to make a daily commitment, set daily goals. And that's what we're working on all year here at Asheville Road. Uh, whenever you think about New Year's resolutions, there are two customs that are usually a part of that. Uh, one is starting fresh, and the other is making New Year's resolutions. And that is a part of our text tonight. Both of those customs that begin the New Year, starting fresh and making resolutions, are in this text where Paul says, This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, that's the starting fresh, and straining forward to what lies ahead, that's making resolutions. I press on toward the goal for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We're not very good at doing this year long. 22% uh, of resolvers fall off the wagon after a week. That's actually a better percentage than I was expecting to find. But it's 22% according to the research. And by the third month, by springtime, half of the people have forgotten their New Year's resolutions. And again, that's a little better statistic than what I was expecting to find. But I was reading an article by Richard Costner, who's a researcher at McGill University and specializes in goal setting and self-regulation. And he says this, Failing to keep New Year's resolutions is the norm rather than the exception. We have a limited amount of self-control, and we are creatures of habit. It's very hard to change the way we behave 
in our everyday lives. There are a couple things that he says in that quote that I found very interesting. One is where he says we have a limited amount of self-control. A few weeks ago, I preached a sermon on self-control, and I talked about how most of us try to find discipline in our lives through sheer willpower. And willpower is a great tool, but it's a limited resource. It's like a battery. It runs low and it has to be recharged. So if you're going to be successful at self-control, you're going to have to assist your willpower with different things like forming good habits. um, And most of all, remembering your why, remembering your motivation and reminding yourself of that every day. So that was one interesting thing. He says we have a limited amount of self-control. That's so true. But then he also talks about how we behave in our everyday lives. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. When we bring it down to a manageable size, to the day instead of the year, we're more likely to keep our commitments that we made to God. So I want you to erase from your mind tonight all the imaginary lines and boundaries we've drawn on our calendars and just take one day at a time and follow Paul's words in Philippians 3, 13 and 14 on how he stayed true to his commitment on a daily basis. And there are four things I want to point out about this mindset of Paul. Number one, notice that he was dissatisfied with the status quo. Uh, If you have your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 3, we read verses 13 and 14 a moment ago, but back up to verse 12 and notice what he says there. He says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. We'll get to what he's talking about specifically in just a moment. But for right now, I just want you to let that dissatisfaction sink in. I haven't already attained it. I haven't gotten there yet. And then in verse 13, which we've already read, he says, I do not consider that I've made it my own. Again, I'm not there yet, he says. I'm trying to attain something. I'm trying to make something my own. I'm trying to attain perfection, but I'm not there yet. Do you see the dissatisfaction with the way things are? I think that's an important part of maintaining a commitment to a goal, is not getting complacent and comfortable with the status quo. Don't settle for a life of mediocrity. There's a legend about Alexander the Great, and it said that uh, a man gave Alexander three dogs and said they were great hunting dogs. And so Alexander took them out to test them, and they spotted an antelope, and the dogs didn't move a muscle. They acted like they didn't even notice the antelope. And sometime later, a stag crossed the horizon, and the dogs didn't perk up, didn't notice again. And so Alexander had the dogs killed. And later, the man asked him about the dogs, and he told him what he did. And the man said, I wish you hadn't done that. He said... No, they won't pay attention to a stag or an antelope. But if it had been a lion, or if it had been a tiger, then you would have seen how great those dogs truly were. Now, I bring that up to illustrate this. Too many of us 
chase stags instead of lions. And we forget that we serve the sovereign ruler of the universe. We have the omnipotent power of God behind us. But so often we're like puppies chasing rabbits instead of chasing after lions. And God, he empowers us to do great things. We shouldn't be satisfied with mediocrity. Think about John the Baptist. Was John great? I think everybody would say that he was great. In fact, you have this evaluation of him from Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Listen to what he said. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there, was, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That's a pretty broad statement. Of those born of women, that's everybody, no one greater than John the Baptist. But then he says something else. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus had not finished establishing his kingdom yet. His rule on earth, manifested by the church, it was coming and it has now come. And through the power of Christ, you and I are in that kingdom. And so by his words here, Matthew 11, we are in a sense greater than John the Baptist. That's how God looks at us. Why would we settle for less? We have a great mission before us to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. And that, that's a huge task, but God would not have put it in our hands if we were not equipped to do the job. He's given us great things to do. He has challenged us. And yet many of us act like we've already achieved the goal. We quit growing a long time ago. We don't study. We don't dig. We don't hunger and thirst after righteousness. We don't pray. We don't set goals. We don't strive to go beyond where we are at present. We just get comfortable and complacent and go through the routines of our lives. A lot of us have quit. And you can't expect to have daily commitment as a part of your life when you have that kind of attitude. So you see Paul here saying, I haven't quite gotten there. I haven't made it my own. I'm not yet perfect. He's not settling for less. You see that dissatisfaction there with the status quo. That's the beginning of daily commitment. Now, here's the second part of it. He set a goal. If you go back to Philippians 3, 14, he says, I press on toward the goal of the upward prize of God in Christ Jesus. Scholars agree that he's using athletic terminology here, referring to the games in which people run, for instance, for a wreath or a trophy. And that's the language he's using here. Like he's running a race and he's striving to be the first across the finish line to win the prize. And saying that Paul's life had a goal, what we're saying here is that his life had meaning. And there was an upward trajectory that he had planned for it, and he was on that path. George Harrison said, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. I think it's a great statement. If you don't know where you're going, 
Any road will take you there. If you don't have any goals for your life, you can do whatever you want to do. And you'll wind up where you wind up. You don't know where you're going. You don't have to, to choose this or that. You can just let the, the winds of change toss you here and there. And a lot of people meander around in their lives like that. But that kind of aimlessness and purposelessness. But when you know where you're going, your choices matter. It matters what you do on a daily basis. You've got to be on a path. You've got to be on a road. Your life has to have meaning. You have to set goals. Not only that, Paul didn't just set goals. He set a spiritual goal. Look at the language here. He calls it the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Can there be any doubt that he's talking about something beyond this world, a spiritual goal? It's very different from the common resolutions that, that we make every year. Uh, you know, some of us want to exercise a little bit more. Others want to lose a little weight. Some people want to read more books. Other people want to travel more. You know the common resolutions that are made every year. And they're all usually about this world. And Paul is looking up the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that's how the Christian's goal ought to be. In another epistle, Paul wrote these words, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Keep your head looking upward to heaven. That's where Christ is. That's your goal. And so set a goal and make it a spiritual goal. Otherwise, you won't know what you're committed to. So how can you have daily commitment? Number three, he believed in his goal. Now, it's one thing to set a goal. It's an entirely different matter to really believe in it. I think this is where resolutions often fail. We, we feel like we ought to do this or that. And you know, our moms or whoever have been honest about it, so we set the resolution, we give lip service to it, but we really don't believe in it. We really don't want to do it. Well, Paul was successful because he didn't just set goals, but he believed in the goals that he set. How do you do that? How do you make spiritual goals that you, you really believe in? Two things. Number one, find your purpose. Find out why you're on earth. And Paul, he hints at this in verse 12 with a little word play. Go back and look at verse 12 of Philippians 3. He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He belonged to Christ. That was his purpose in life. Now, he told that story of how Christ made him his own three times in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, and Acts chapter 26. In Acts 26, he's rehearsing this in another trial. 
talking about how he was a blasphemer, a persecutor of the church. And the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus, and he said, Saul, Saul, why have you persecuted me? It is hard to kick against the goats. And then he told Saul this. He said, verse 16 of Acts 26, Rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And on that day, on that road, after he'd been struck blind, Paul knew why he was on earth. He was there to bring people the hope of Jesus Christ. To tell them they didn't have to carry their sins around with them any longer. To tell them they didn't have to continue to be riddled with guilt and regret. To tell them they didn't have to be identified with their past. That there's a glorious future awaiting them. Through the grace and mercy of God and the blood of Jesus Christ, they could be saved from their sins and enter the eternal kingdom of the Almighty. And his life had meaning from that day forward. One of the shortcomings of the church today is that we don't feel owned by Christ. Go back to the language of Philippians 3.12. He says, he says there, not that I have already obtained it or already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul felt owned by Jesus Christ. He was a slave to Christ. So that means after worship on Sunday... When he went home, that night he still felt owned by Jesus Christ. And when he woke up the next day, on Monday, whatever the Apostle Paul did on Mondays, he still felt like the servant of Christ. And he was like that all week long, Monday through Sunday, he was the prisoner of Christ. And one of our shortcomings in the church today is that we compartmentalize and we may feel owned by Jesus a couple hours on Sunday, maybe on Wednesday nights. And everything seems to take place in this building here. That's not what the Christian lifestyle is supposed to be like. Yes, we're supposed to come together and worship and study the Bible together and all of that is important and necessary and essential. We've got that down. But what about the daily part of it? The daily Christianity. Do you feel owned by Jesus? Do you know that he bought you with the price of his own blood? You see, in order to really believe in your spiritual goals, you've got to get your purpose down. I've been bought by the blood of Jesus so that I can tell people the good news about redemption through Christ. But there's a second thing. Think about the goal you would make if you could only make one goal and make that your goal. 
What if you had to choose one thing, what would it be? You know, Paul says in Philippians 3.13, this one thing I do. One thing. We talked about similar things in Bible class this morning. Jimmy Pullum reminded me of that movie City Slickers with Billy Crystal and Jack Palance. And, uh, you know, I don't remember the dialogue. It's been a long time. But Jack Palance said, the secret to life is this. He puts his finger up. And Billy Crystal says, your finger? And he goes, no. One thing. Know what your one thing is. I don't know if they know it, but they got that from Paul. You know, he's the one that wrote that first. What goal would you make if you only had one goal that you were allowed to make? Whatever your answer to that is, make that your goal. Know your purpose and then figure out what your one thing is to get to that purpose and do that thing. You know, the life of Abraham Lincoln is interesting in a lot of ways, and there's a lot of misconceptions about him. And uh, I've heard the debate over whether he was really concerned about the slaves or not. Uh, It depends on what part of the country you're in as to where people land on that. But I've read about his, his work as president, and his number one thing wasn't the emancipation of the slaves. He was anti-slavery, but his number one thing was the union. And I want to share with you a quote from him. He said, My paramount object is to save the union, and it is not either to save or to destroy slavery. If I could save the union without freeing any slaves, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing some slaves and leaving others alone, I would do that. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read that, I was a little disappointed in Abraham Lincoln because I think the slavery issue was even bigger than the Union. And, uh, you know, you can't, you, you can't deprioritize human rights like that. But for what it's worth... The point I'm trying to make is, Lincoln had his goals organized. And at the top of the list was the Union. And everything else fell under that main goal. And so he did what was necessary to preserve the Union, and he accomplished that. When you know what that one thing is in your life, the decisions and the sacrifices are easier to make. And Jesus taught us to be single-minded about the gospel. Do you remember the parable of the pearl of great value? It's a really short one in Matthew 13. A man goes out seeking costly pearls, and upon finding one of great value, he sells all that he has to go and purchase it. That's that single-mindedness. He knew what his goal was. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37 and following, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
Remind yourself every day of your purpose, the meaning of your life, and your main goal, the number one goal that you have. And then you'll believe in it. Okay, let's go to the fourth thing. Fourth, he pressed on toward the goal every single day. We have here in this text that we're looking at, Philippians 3, an anatomy, if you will, of pressing on. What does it mean to press on? Pressing on is two things. Leaving the past behind. He says, forgetting what lies behind. And don't you know that that was a hard thing for the Apostle Paul? Of all people, the chief of all sinners, as he called himself, must have had a difficult time some days of forgetting what lay behind. He had persecuted his brothers and sisters in Christ. He put them in prison. Acts 9 verse 1 says that he breathed threats of murder. So he was a murderous tyrant for the first part of his life. And then he turned 180 and became a missionary for Christ. He couldn't have done that if he hadn't learned to forget the past. And it was a daily effort and part of pressing on. The second part of that is pushing towards the future, straining forward to what lay ahead, what lies ahead. The King James has reaching forth. Now, it's not quite strong enough to represent the language here. The language here is something like, to stretch out upon. And it's evoking the imagery of a runner crossing the finish line. One commentary I read was really interesting. He said, the eyes pull the neck, the neck pulls the chest, the chest pulls the arms, the arm pulls the legs, the legs are pulling the feet. Something like that. He's trying to show the the imagery behind the statement, straining forward to what lies ahead. That's pressing on. Pressing on is comprised of leaving the past behind and stretching for what lies ahead. And if you're not pressing on with your life, you're living in the past, you're spinning your wheels in the present, And you're deserting your future. Every day, Paul pressed on, forgetting his awful past and opening doors to a bright future that God, by His grace, made for him. Twice he says, I press on. And the verb really would be better rendered, I am pressing on. Because it's supposed to denote continuous action. I am pressing on. In other words, it's an everyday battle that I'm fighting. And in verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. So he reveals there, this is a mindset. And when you develop a mindset, it's not here today and gone tomorrow. A mindset is part of your daily life, a daily commitment. Every day was a new year in Paul's mind, a chance to forget what lay behind and reach forward to what lies ahead. So here are the four strategies for developing a mindset of daily commitment. 
Don't accept the status quo. Set a goal. Then believe in your goal by finding your purpose and setting that goal above all goals. And then finally, press on towards your goal every single day. Let me challenge you to make daily commitments. You know, we're, we're asking you to think about things individual, individual contributions. This isn't something that anybody can do for you. I can't do this for you. The elders can't do it for you. You have to decide, do I want to make a spiritual goal my foremost concern this year? Do I want to grow? Do I want to get closer to who God wants me to be? This is something that you have to do individually. And God will give you the strength to do it. We're here to help, though. We can't do it for you. We can encourage you. And part of that encouragement we're doing tonight in the invitation song. And so Ron's going to lead us in a song. And if you need prayer, you need guidance, if you're ready to start your life with Christ, whatever it is, don't hesitate to come forward. Come right now as we stand together and as we sing.